Welcome to the Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts, Stacy Huck and Rachel Kovac. Stace, how are you doing today? Pretty good, I think. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I am still pretty tired from my weekend, so I'm just trying to use the coffee to wake me up. Uh, it's either that or the lectures I hosted today, but I'm just waking up. But we're thrilled to bring you the second part of our toxicity commentary. Um, for those who listened last week, uh, we talked about a really big uh, elephant in the room in the church, which is toxicity in our home parishes. And we're not talking about corruption in like the full um, Vatican style uh, size. We're not talking globally. We're talking about toxicity at home. And so um, in order for us to start, I'm going to have Stacy give us the opening prayer. All right. So our prayer today is going to come once again from the Auxilium Christian Orum. It's going to be the Thursday prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My Lord, Thou art all-powerful. Thou art God. Thou art our Father. We beg Thee through the intercession and help of Thy archangels, Saints Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one. All saints of heaven come to our aid. From anxiety, sadness, and obsessions, we implore thee to deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy, we implore thee to deliver us, O Lord. From the thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death, we implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion, we implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality, we implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful relationship, we implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. And from every sort of spell, malfeasance, witchcraft, and every form of the occult, we implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, all right, well, we don't want dead silence, so i got to think of something that's something good <laughs> and, you know, worthy to share. Last week... Uh, our topic was, as Rachel said, was pretty heavy, and we went into great detail about things in the par- on the parish level that could be toxic that really stymie your parish become- from becoming a, a dynamic uh, parish and a welcoming parish. Uh, one of the things that we, I think we kind of failed to kind of discuss, but we should probably throw it out there before we get to solutions and the more positive side of, of this in particular topic, is the fact that in this day and age, everybody's caught up on verbiage. Everybody's caught up on words and lingo and phrases. And, you know, for me sometimes, honestly, I feel like if everyone had to take the SATs again, their verbals would not be that great of a score. Because oh, I agree. <laughs> I seriously wonder what the meaning of some of the things people say. What in the world are they trying to say? And I know that probably sounds weird to anybody listening because it probably doesn't sound like English is my first language, which it is, shockingly. But... I have no clue sometimes uh, what people are trying to say with some of the words they're using. And, and quite honestly, sometimes I'm just like, hey, you know, uh, you can't just reinvent the word. It mean, it has a, a, a united, solidified meaning that's kind of set in stone. You can't just change it, you know, to fit whatever it is you're trying to do. And I think that in a pairing with you... Um, I feel that sensitivity has just taken over the meaning of 
typical words. And I find myself all the time going through a sensitivity filter. And anyone that knows me for five minutes knows sensitivity is not my strong suit. Uh, it's been an issue in my relationships with my family uh, to where I'll say something and it just doesn't sound correct. Like it just doesn't make sense. And so a lot of times I turn to my students, I turn to my sisters that are younger and more versed. And I'm like, did this sound weird? And they have to go, oh, Rachel, you can't say that anymore. Oh, this isn't what that means. And it's stressful. And I think that that is something generationally people struggle with. And, you know, older generations, they're like, why am I going to care about the word I'm using? Whereas I feel younger generations, they take themselves and their words so seriously. I'm like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> I don't want to Yeah, and then half this. of the time, it's not even used in the appropriate context or meaning. So it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yet you're going to accuse someone of hurting your feelings mm-hmm. or being insensitive. Uh, yeah, well, now I, uh, a perfect example of this about me, uh, when I started teaching, I had used, uh, I had heard my students use the term ratchet. Okay. Oh yeah, I heard that. And so ratchet, for those who don't know, is like now considered like a hot mess or like not organized, really drama filled. And I didn't know that. And so when my student kept saying, oh, this is ratchet or she's ratchet, I really thought they were talking about the ratchet wrench, like those. And I was so confused and I didn't understand. And I finally had to go to my friend. I go, what does that mean? And when she told me, I felt so ridiculous. But who looks at a wrench and goes, oh, that looks like that person. I was so incredibly confused by that. So, (laughs) Well, I feel like. You know, getting back to the verbiage deal and and the word usage, I feel like sometimes we use, especially people, you know, volunteers and people that are head of ministries, they use all the right language and all the right lingo and so that they can be, here's one of the keywords, inclusive or welcoming. And that just can be further from the truth because sometimes that person is not indeed welcoming and really they're not being inclusive at all. So, you know, I would say, you know, sometimes we need to be aware of the language that we use, not because it's necessarily offensive or insensitive. I just think that using a, a particular language is not always a direct um, reflection of one's actions. I agree. I think that if you're going to say it, you need to uh, practice what you preach, essentially. Yeah, you got to be about it. Yeah. I mean... That's what that's kind of like what they say where I'm from. You just you gotta be about it, and I mean that's just really true. You just can't use the right words, you know, and then you're completely doing something that's really opposite. Um, but I kind of want to touch on that because we we hear all the right words sometimes in the circles we run in, but we really don't see the actions that kind of are that should be accompanying them or, or complementary to them, or complementary I should say to them. Um, something else I wanted, you know, to kind of revisit was the structure, the the way the parish is structured that, you know, again, let's revisit the fact that the, the bishop assigns the pastor to the parish. The, the pastor is assigned here for a set amount of years out of obedience to the bishop and that we need to really, really be focusing on trying to follow whatever his vision is because that's the new, unique thing that I mentioned last week about us staying in a parish but the pastor always changing is that our parish should always be fresh because every six years or so, uh, depending on the term, 
six or seven years, we get a new pastor coming in and, and they see things because, you know, they're not from this parish. They have very little experience with the parish. So they come in with a fresh set of eyes and see where we may be lacking. If we decide to kind of just stick our feet in the ground and stay put and resist, I mean, we really, we're really holding ourselves back as a parish, as a parish family. Because remember, what fits my needs and what works for me is not work, what works for everyone else in the parish. So while I may think that Falabetto is the greatest thing since sliced bread, which I do, that's not a lie, um, you know, there may be other people that don't feel that way and feel like, well, I don't get anything, you know, from his sermons or his homilies. And again, like I was saying last week, you know, don't leave a parish just because of homiletics. Every every priest is just a regular man who, he's just like anyone else, any other of your friends who has special gifts and talents. He's going to be super good at some things, and at other things he may just be mediocre. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because sometimes you need the spectacular, but let's face it, sometimes you're on the mediocre end. And so, I mean... That really speaks to the, you know, the diversity of your parish, and it helps to build a really healthy parish. So, um, I don't know, you might think differently, but it's, it's definitely worth sticking it out in the parish, I think. Whether you're, you feel like you're getting spiritually fed or not, I seriously doubt if you, if you are at this point in time where you feel that you're not getting spiritually fed, I seriously doubt that you're um, kind of at a standstill in your faith. Well, I think that... You know, we are in the time of 2020. We have so many new ways to engage in our faith that go even beyond your parish. And I've, I firmly believe in sticking through and maintaining your parish family, sticking out through the different pastors. Um, but if you are a dr coming to a point where you are not getting fed spiritually in your parish, that's when you find websites for support that's when you find online communities that uh, share your vision and grow in that faith and hopefully pray for that perspective to give you the clarity needed when you attend mass to get the clarity that when you come to your home parish and you listen to your pastor you hear from a new refreshed set of eyes that once you've heard it from a different perspective that you're able to be like yes okay this is what they meant Kind of every time you go and you see that it's a pastor that you don't necessarily get along with or someone that you're like, ooh, I just don't really like what they have to say or I don't believe in the views that they say, um, ask for God to give you the opportunity to see at least one positive in that hour of reflection and uh, time intended for Mass. Because there's always one good thing. There's always at least one. No, no doubt. And I think, too, that sometimes when we we beat ourselves up thinking that we're kind of in this dry spell where we're not getting anything from mass. We, we don't have the time in our personal lives to volunteer. So we feel like we're not giving back. And then on top of it, we feel that God is so distant from us that he's not hearing anything. Sometimes I think we confuse uh, a dry spell in our spiritual life with kind of this failure, but when in, in fact, it's probably not. It's just us probably moving on to something else. The fact that you can even recognize, I mean, y'all need to give yourself some credit. The fact that you could actually recognize that you're in a dry spell, that speaks volumes itself. Because if you weren't spiritually connected, you wouldn't feel like you're in a dry spell. And you could possibly, I'm not a spiritual director, let me just put that out there, but you know, you could also... Quite honestly, you could be confusing uh, boredom 
what a spiritual dry spell. I mean, and many of the Greek saints uh, experienced dry spells. That I mean, like, we kind of freak out if it lasts, like, two or three Sundays in a row that we think Mass was boring. I mean, some of these Greek saints of the church, I mean, it lasted years. I mean, they felt that God had abandoned them, you know, in the last years of their lives. They died thinking God had abandoned them. If it wouldn't have been for their faith, that's the only thing they held on to, but they were in such a dry spell. I mean, Mother Teresa of Calcutta experienced horrible dry spells. Teresa of Avila, who's a great doctor of the church, John of the Cross, a lot of them experienced, you know, severe dry spells. You know, even St. Margaret Mary Alico, who the Sacred Heart, revelations of the Sacred Heart of Jesus were revealed to. She experienced many dry spells, and, and you know, that's hard for us to kind of, understand because we're thinking well yeah she had she's just talking to her she was receiving interlocutions but i mean it really is similar to what we experience nowadays it, it's a dry spell and a dry spell for you is different than for me and some of us are affected by it more severely than others and some of us it affects our faith more severely than others where some people actually feel like they can't even go to mass because there is such a disconnect you know so, and we all know that, you know, number one thing, Satan is, he's the number one fan of fear, mm -hmm. fear and shame. I mean, those are his top, uh, exploits. So, you know. No, a hundred percent. And, um, I think that one thing that this current generation of people struggle with is when they, we are coming from a generation of instant gratification. If their computer loads too slow, <laughs> they feel like, oh my God, yeah. my world's going to collapse. I can't do this. If they drop their phone and they can't use their phone, everything's over. So the concept of having a multiple month to multiple year dry spell in their spirituality is panic inducing. And it's one of those things where they're like, oh, I was not meant to be Catholic or I was not meant to follow Jesus when they are just in a rut. Yeah. And I think that that's one correction that we need to make because that is one characteristic that has fueled the toxicity in our parishes is when there is that dry spell, instead of addressing it for what it is, which is that spell, they view it as like, oh, I've lost them. They've lost God. They're not here. <coughs> and excuse me. For those who don't know how to support someone during that time, it can be very isolating and it can be very alienating to feel this sort of judgment and concern from others that are in the parish that are still practicing and you're on the side of the dry spell going, oh my gosh, don't talk to me about this. Don't make me do this. I don't want this. And it can really make it the, it can further the divide instead of inviting them back into the parish, which is ultimately what we want. We want them to come home to celebrate the Lord every week. Um, but until you, you know, find the way to address it so that it doesn't come off as judgment, but an extension of an invitation, there's going to continue to be that dry rift between those. And that's why I tell people, because a lot of times people will kind of hop around from and not other Christian denominations, I just mean Catholic churches, they'll hop around from church to church, and, you know, there's, well, I just haven't found my home yet. For your, for your spiritual life, one of the best things you can actually do, or a couple things I'll tell you you can do is, one, join a parish. Pick a church, a Catholic church, and stick with it. I mean, whether it's St. Pat, St. Paul, St. Joseph's, the mission, whatever, and stick with it, because that becomes your support. 
system in the spiritual journey is to be part of a parish where the faces are familiar. You might not know them all, but you're going to end up meeting people and making friends at the Mass that you go to. Just like all good Catholics, you'll probably go to Mass at the same time on the weekend and sit in the same exact place for the rest of your life until you die. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's a whole other issue. But anyways, <laughs> you you will probably, like I said, you'll go and you'll, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of people go to Mass and they do recognize familiar faces and they think that because they see, you know, they see so-and-so and they always see her there, that her life is so perfect and, and faith is so easy and she has no struggles. When the reality probably is is that when she hits her knees, she's probably got a hundred things on her heart. She's got to deliver to the altar that in particular Sunday, you know. And she's and and probably an hour is not even enough time for her to deliver everything that lady has, you know. And if we look at some of the older people in our parish, I mean, to me, the old people in the parish, uh, whether it's this parish here that I work in, St. Paul's that I'm a parishioner, or my old parish in Louisiana. Those old people are a great source of inspiration uh, to me because um, sometimes here, but not so much here, but like in my at my house in Louisiana where I know everyone, you know, you know what they, some of what they went through in life and they're still sticking with God. And it's still very integral and a very, or an extremely important part of their life, extremely important aspect of their life. And, um, you know, that in itself you can draw strength from i mean i know that sounds lame or whatever like or i'm just throwing like a hallmark sentiment out but it's true i mean you know you there's hope that you know they struggled and they made it through there's hope for you at the end of the tunnel and like i said it sounds hallmarkish but i mean i don't know for me i do draw strength from things like that not that they even had like super horrific lives but you know sometimes too just the fact that you saw someone, you didn't know that much about them. Later on, you find out something about them, and you can't believe, wow, they were still at Mass every morning, and they had all that on their plate? I mean, that's, that's to me, that's uh, that's pretty inspirational. I think, too, that addresses an, an issue that continues the toxicity in our church, is that, not St. Patrick's necessarily, but I'm talking about parishes as a whole, is that there is such a generational divide and there aren't invitations often for intergenerational faith-based activities. You know, it, I don't... Like bingo? Not like bingo, but like more like, you know, it could be bingo, could be movie night, could simply be like a hospitality moment where you have, you just enjoy some donuts and coffee after mass and go. You know, when I was growing up, in this parish at St. Patrick's, that was a big reward in my family. It was like, hey, if we sat still, if we listened, if we behave, it was Hospitality Sunday, that was our reward. We got to go. But, you know, watching my parents, watching us, you know, we knew the members of our mass. We knew who was serving. We knew what we want, how we wanted to serve from a very young age in my family. And so I don't see that happening much anymore. I think we're too fast-paced. I think that... You know, people view it, okay, I got my hour in, I saw God, I got to go back to my week. I got to go back to my work, my sports, my activities that are outside. And I think that we are lacking in intergenerational activities to be together just as people. Um, and yeah, I guess, I, I, I mean, I do see that, but I think that, that something has to be, that has to be like a direct correlation in between your culture here. Mm-hmm. because I mean, this is going to rub people the wrong way, but, like, your culture is no culture here, so to speak. 
like you don't have the same traditions that say even like the Hispanics or you know the Latin American uh, Latin American people in California have and so I that's gonna be a really hard disconnect to overcome you know what I'm saying especially is is now with the world if you think about it when you think about the people that you just see here at St. Patrick's at Mass on the weekend uh, the vast majority of them are not natives to this in particular area yeah so you're not even gonna have like multi-generational homes, so to speak, that could share their traditions with others. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That are going to be like deeply rooted kind of, you know. I will, I will disagree on one thing that this parish does in particular that is really neat. And during Lent, we have the Fish Fry Fridays, uh, when, yeah. uh, that where that is inclusive to everybody. And that, I think, is the closest thing that I can think of of an activity where you see people of all ages coming and celebrating on uh, Fridays during Lent, eating the fish hosted uh, by the Italian community. And it is, it's wonderful. It's a great opportunity for us to be uh, toward the parish, help um, just to have that nourishment as a community, but it shouldn't just be during Lent. Like I shouldn't be eagerly waiting till Lent to see people at my (laughs) church, right? Like it shouldn't be the norm. It's like, oh, I got to wait for that sacrificial time to eat my fish and see Billy or Bob, (laughs) you know, like it's just that. uh, And embarrassingly, I forgot about the fish fry. Sorry. (laughs) You know what? Quarantine kind of made us miss it last, uh, last Lent. So for us in mindset, it's almost two years since we've really had an activity like that. To where we um, get to be together intergenerationally. Um, but, you know, on this note, as being the youth minister, um, this year I had the great fortune of having interns in our program. The reason being is I was in high school a long time ago, and I remember a lot of my mindset is I had to get ready for college. I had to think, okay, I need to have the experience to get into the four year to get those scholarships. And so, when I sent the survey out, I just let it go. I really didn't keep an eye on it that much. I just wanted it to be really the Holy Spirit calling upon our teenagers on who would want to be a part of it. And boy, St. Patrick's, we have four amazing young women. Um, they are all from different high schools in the area. They all go through very similar struggles, but also different. But the, most importantly... They want their fellow teenagers to accept and have God in their life. And so um, we host intern meetings um, every month just so we can reflect on what we've seen, the progress in our teens, talk about different activities. And when Stacy and I were doing this podcast about toxicity, I wanted to kind of get it from their point of view. I was like, hey, guys. So, you know, Stacy and I talked about toxicity in the parish. You guys are young. So you got confirmed at St. Patrick's or you're about to be. You're about ready to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and go out into the world. What do you see as a hurdle for toxicity? And I think the most interesting thing was the diverse answers I got from all four. One of the girls had no clue what I was talking about. She goes, oh, I, my parish is so inclusive. They love everybody. I wouldn't know. I was like, dude, you're so cute. Like, I was like, not to be condescending, but I was like, dang, you're adorable. Another said, I I don't go to a specific mass, so I don't know. I just go when my family goes. So for them, the toxicity was really oblivious to them. They're like, whoa. Uh, And then one girl in particular, she's a very uh, politically motivated. 
And so I think that's a nice way to say it. <laughs> and she was like, she finds St. Patrick's comforting because I was there. And she knows how I worked with the high schoolers to be inclusive. So that would motivate other teenagers to come to a place where it is an inclusive and supportive and pro-Catholic environment. And when she said that, I first thought she was sucking up. Like, I was like, oh my God, I don't need to hear that. Like, please don't say that. But then I really thought about this teenager in particular. And I was like, you know, that is what really need, if that is where I really see the issue is that when people say we're inclusive, we want you here, we want you there, but you come in and immediately you're going to stab them and be like, boom, like, just kidding. This is what I want. If you don't do it my way, just get out. There's no progress. And that's what happens to a lot of our volunteers. And it happens to a lot of the ministers in our church is they'll come in with a very optimistic and open mind and then they'll get burnt or they'll get hurt by someone who's been doing this for a long time. And it totally shatters their vision of what they were doing. And I think that that is what continues to be that gap between the youth and, and like younger generation Catholics and those who are practicing now is that, that, that fear of getting hurt and that fear of not being accepted and wanted. And, um, that is something that when she said that it really took me about a day to process and realize like, okay, you have to really intentionally be inclusive in mass. Well, and I think, you know, I know we said today we were going to be discussing the more positive aspect, but that really does, uh, that brings up something I don't think we touched on last week, not that I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm a little bit slow today. I have no clue why, so I apologize to everybody. <laughs> don't uh, feel me. I know I'm tired. <laughs> I mean, I'm not having a bad day. It's just, I don't know. I'm slow today. But anyways, one of the things is that, you know, you're used to coming to church. You know it's uh, like, it's the sacrifice of the Mass. It's a holy event. It's a miracle, you know, all these things. And then you finally take the next step, like, because you always see people volunteering, you see people helping out. You've been thinking about it a while, and now you're going to finally take the next step and become a volunteer. You inquire, and then you volunteer in whatever kind of capacity it's going to be, and you start volunteering, and you realize, this is not, like, what I thought it was going to be. Not that it's more work or less work or it's just, you know, it's different. No, you just, this is not church. Like, these people are not nice, mm -hmm. you know? And that ends up being, you end up having not just a bad experience, but then you're messing with people's faith. So it is a very difficult thing when I see people, when I see volunteers get burned, or people before they're even, I guess, technically a volunteer, when they're like in the pre-volunteer stage, let's call it, mm -hmm. and they get burned, I mean, it just breaks my heart because that in particular, to be hurt by your church, to be hurt, I mean, let's face it, everybody, we've all been hurt. To be hurt is one thing. To be hurt by your church or the people at your church or the priests at your church, that's pretty damaging. And that's, you know, let's face it, a simple I'm sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't heal it. It doesn't uh, make it go away. That's something that takes time. So when I see people get burned, I mean, it really hurts me. And if somebody's listening that I burned, I mean, you need to come see me because I, that's like, I never, ever want to burn someone, and I'm always, I'm not a very sensitive person, I wouldn't say, but I'm always, you know, try to be really sensitive to the people's needs because, you know, that's something, you know, that we kind of touched on last week 
uh, in the realm of toxicity is the is that people that are in the position or that I'm in are in similar positions to me. Uh, you know, you carry a certain burden, and you never ever want to be the reason that someone doesn't come back to church or doesn't help at church. You know, that's that's really heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. And you just don't want to be, you don't want to be that reason. So when I, I see people get burned, it really hurts. It does, it does bug me a lot, you know, especially because people in the position that I'm in are that you're in, you're supposed to be serving really at the behest of the parishioners. Like, yes, you serve God, but this is what you do. You're supposed to be meeting the needs of the parishioners, you know, under the guidance and obedience of your pastor. But, I mean... And, and that kind of leads me to something else we were, we were kind of discussing right before the show today was, you know, what is the definition of a healthy volunteer? You know, when people come to see me and they tell me they've been thinking about it, I mean, I know that that translates. If you're telling me you've been thinking about it, you've been, it's been on your mind for a while. Because let's face it, when we think about making serious commitments, it usually takes us a while uh, before we actually vocalize them. So when people come, I'm real noncommittal. I try to figure out what they want to do what they're looking for, and what kind of what kind of level of commitment. And I always tell people, come and try it. Come and try it. That's the worst thing that happens. You don't like it. You hate it. You just you find somewhere else. But a healthy volunteer to me is someone who, you know, God has put on their heart that they want, that he would like to see them in a, a service role, right? They seek out the role. They get the informa- the proper information so they can move forward. And when they do, whatever reason it is that you volunteer, I don't care what kind of feeling it gives you or, you know, whatever it is, that's why you volunteer. When I always tell people, and people are going to be surprised I'm going to say this on the air, but when that feeling is gone, you need to move on. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't want you anymore, but because then you're staying out of obligation. And when you stay out of obligation, it's a very one-sided relationship. And you don't get whatever it is uh, that that you did get at one time and point when you were volunteering. I know some people might be saying, oh, well, that's egotistical or that's selfish. It's not at all. And to me, the way I look at it is that, you know, you volunteered for me for a couple years. Now you're leaving me. I'm bummed that you're leaving because you're, you're probably irreplaceable. But now someone else is going to get your talents and gifts. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and I think to uh, partner with what you just said, you know, if you lose the feeling, if you leave, that's an opening and a new opportunity for someone else to be called by the Holy Spirit to take that spot. Definitely. And it's like, and I, I don't mean to be rude on here, but it's like, that's like, oh, you're going to be irrepa- irre- irreplaceable. That's just not really true. Like, I don't, you know, and I know that's horrible to say, but there, you know, there are some exceptional people that are like, oh, we're going to miss you so much. But at the end of the day, we are going to fill your spot. We are going to adjust your position. Like, there will be something to where it will change and the flow will be there. Um, But it's just, like, the comfort that we have in these roles where we're going in and out of volunteers is knowing that, what Stacy said, you're going to share your talents with someone else. It is going to help something else. And God will provide the person that is supposed to be in that role. Or we will be creative and fill it with the person that should be there at the time being uh, but it's very it's very difficult and you know I'm saying this from my end where when I came into this role 
what I had known back when I was getting confirmed, there was like a team of like 15 volunteers helping with the confirmation process. And when I came, there were two. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what? And the other was like teetering, like, I don't think I'm going to be here. And I remember there was a young man that I grew up with. Like I had known him my whole life. And he walked me into my car after I had been introducing myself again to our parish. And he was like, you know, Rach, I am so, you know, I just want to be very transparent with you. I will not volunteer for you. And I looked and I'm like, well, thank you. And he goes, no, I just need you to know, like, I, you know, I've been burned in the past. Like, I just don't have that calling, but I didn't want you to take it personally. And so I apologize for his experience, but it definitely left me feeling like, oh my goodness, like what happened while I was gone? And it really made me understand, like, you know, I was gone for 15 years. It was 15 years where I wasn't there. I didn't see the changes from when I had left. And so I'm really proud of the program we have now and what we have and what, how it's continuing to grow. But I definitely did come from, like, the very bottom of where you could be. And you just have to appreciate your volunteers and let them know that every moment they're there is improving the lives of who you surround yourself with. Yeah, and I mean, you know, people, we said in the beginning uh, this was a two-part kind of series and that we were talking about toxicity within the realm of uh, the world as we used to know it, pre-COVID. But I will say that during this time, there, there's there been uh, some blessings during, uh, at least for me, during the COVID deal because uh, some of the toxicity I've seen in the parish um, has actually dissipated. And um, in the last couple of weeks, we have actually had more people stepping forward to volunteer and help us. And um, the cool thing about that is uh, the majority of these people are people who have never helped us before. So that's really, that's a really, you know, in this time where everything's so negative, um, that's something that's been really positive on our end. And just, uh, it's for me, it's exciting because I've met so many new people during um, the quarantine coming back to mass and um i have excellent people helping me on the weekends people that actually you know i probably not would have not had interactions with had it not been for uh covid so you know um as we kind of partly our time into uh, how to get rid of toxicity and some of the positive things we can do i think one thing we can all ask ourselves is if we sit back and we're 100 percent honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves the question kind of rhetorically you know, what is toxic in our parish? I mean, whatever your home parish is. Uh, what actions, what people, what specific people are toxic in, in our parish? Because in order for us to uh, get rid of the toxicity, those are the things that have to be addressed. And it doesn't have to be a situation where it's going to be like fraternal correction and I'm going to be like, so Rachel, um, yeah, you're wrong about everything. Um, <laughs> not just some things, but everything. Just life. Yeah. Rachel, yeah you're you, bad life, at life. It is, I am bad you at life. You suck at life. I suck, you suck at, at life. life. No. <laughs> and I just go, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I did that in a Christian way. Yeah, I, or I said that in a Christian way. Suck at life. Yeah, Christian you suck way. at life. <laughs> um, but if we ask ourselves that question, then the next question we need to ask ourselves, because I know y'all were probably thinking like, oh, specific people. Let me get my uh, names and my list ready. No. The reason you ask yourself this is because then you have to kind of turn around and ask yourself, am I doing any of those things? Because it's not, it's easy to look at other people and say what actions or which, you know, what decisions 
are toxic, but what do we bring to the table ourselves? Because I'm a firm believer that if it's not going to do any good, don't don't add to the chaos because I'm not a fan of chaos or drama. But at the same, same time, to lead by example because you don't know who's watching you and you may inspire them to come forward, to help, you know, just to be more positive. I mean, that that to me is, is worth its weight in gold. You, you know, uh, we can have 50 people helping us at Mass on the weekend, but if they're all crabby and crotchety and, you know, they're all just chiefs, you know, what good is that? Mm-hmm. And I think on that note of instead of trying to name call or identify like, oh, who's toxic? They are, they are, they are. You know, you have to ask yourself is, okay, what are they bringing to the table? What can I bring to the table? And is this an environment I'm, I feel comfortable enough to stay in and try to fix? Because there are some things, you know, there are some things where, especially with volunteers have been doing this a long time and it has become a part of their physical identity. Like it is them. Having them change will probably not happen. You know, they are set in their ways. It is what they know. It is what they believe. And it doesn't matter who, what pastor's in place, what bishop's in place, it is them. And it is their journey and it is the alpha. If you think you're going to turn that, haha, love you, we'll pray for you, but good luck. Don't pray for me. Like, yeah. No. Don't pray for me. No, no. Don't pray no. for Stace, but I'll pray for you. But I think that ultimately you have to ask yourself, is it a, a battle that will help you in your spiritual faith? Or are you just succumbing to human need to win and i am that person like i will like go cutthroat and be like i have to win this like i don't like it i will lose sight of the faith and become the person and be like no like i am holding out and it isn't until i walk away that i realized where i stepped wrong and it isn't until i leave the situation that i go oh no, I really shouldn't have done that. Like the Catholic in me goes, Rachel, I can't believe you did that. But in the time, the primal Rachel takes over. And we all have that. It is all, it is very natural for us to go that route. And you just have to be aware, like, are you doing this for your spiritual growth? Or are you doing this for your human need to win? Yeah, and you know what? I mean, that kind of speaks to, you know, something that kind of just crossed my mind, too, is that you always see the old people talking about the young people not stepping up. But in that same token, and I I do agree that my generation has not stepped up to serve. We just haven't, right? Um, I'm not even going to try to make excuses. We haven't. Um, Same with mine. But then the other question you have to ask yourself is, is when you're sitting there complaining about nobody's willing to help, um, are you allowing people to help? Because if you're so overbearing or you're just, you know, you're that hard to get along with or not, okay, let me rephrase that. Not so much that hard to get along with, but you're that hard to volunteer for is not a shocker. It's a no-brainer that no one's going to, you know. And then the the other side of that coin is, you know, one thing that kind of, like, chaps me up is when I hear people say, like, and this is not about Father Beto or Father Vance, just just priests in general, like, like, Oh, yeah, you know, Father so-and-so, he ain't no leader. All right. Oh. Let me tell y'all something. Let me tell you. If the priest tells you what to do, or if you're having a conversation with your priest or your pastor, and you come to a decision, 
about anything. I mean, it could be something stupid, like the parish fair or the parish mm-hmm. picnic, right? Or the new altar cloth, whatever it is, right? Y'all come to an understanding, and then you walk out of that office, and you go do whatever you want. Okay, that's not the priest not being a good leader. No, um, that is your disobedience. Yeah, that's you being disobedient. And then when you go and you tell everybody about your experience and how, and you ended up doing the polar opposite of what y'all agreed on, I mean, that's where your dissension and your toxicity comes in. You know what I'm saying? And I find this, like, and, you know, anyone that knows me knows I'm a very independent person. Like, I'm very independent by fault at this point. Um, and But there is an understanding, and at least I, maybe it was the way I was raised, maybe it's the way my positive relationships with priests. But if a priest tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. Because I know that they are my own little special tether to God right now. And they are praying for me, and they're praying for my inner uh, sessions and those things. Why on earth would I go and disobey a priest? Like, I guess in just my mind, I'm like, oh, my need for this goblet is more important than what you say. To me, that doesn't, oh, that. Because people, because the laity thinks that the priest has to be obedient to his bishop and to the pope. But the laity forgets about the part where they have to be obedient to the pastor. Oh, and they're like, oh, they're just human. <laughs> they're just human. Oh, that drives me nuts. And, you know, again, one of the ways when Stacey and I were talking about this conversation, I've, gosh, I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. Um, but I'm the kind of person that will not just sit on it. Like, I won't be like, oh, we talked about this on Monday, and then I'm not going to think about it the rest of the week. Oh, no. It's something that I think about, I talk about, I analyze. And there's a book I bought that helped me with my reflection, and I'm going to recommend it to you guys. It's called When Narcissism Comes to Church, Healing Your Community from Emotional (laughs) and Spiritual Abuse. It's by Chuck Digro, okay? And guys, I... This is where the doctorate student wins out and the sensitive Rachel doesn't, okay? Like, sensitively, did I need to share this with you? No. But the doctorate, like, studying part of me, oh, yes. And there is one chapter in particular that really called to me when I was reflecting on it. And it's one about healing ourselves and healing the church. Because ultimately, as human beings, we're very inductive people, right? We have to go from the inside and go out. We're not deductive by nature. We don't go general and go to specific. We're inductive. We are primal. We go, oh, how does it affect me? And then can I help someone else? And that's the same with your healing in the church when it comes to toxicity. If you feel like you've been burned by the church, if you've witnessed it, if there's something that happened, you have to pray for the healing in yourself first. Number one, you can't can't get it from anyone else. That's between you and God. Then you pray for the person that hurt you. And that's hard. Ooh, that's hard. And once you are able to pray for them, once you're able to forgive them, to confess your feelings of anger and resentment in time of confession, then you can go and start praying for your church, praying for the culture, praying for the, a new opportunity for you to serve God in your home parish. And when you give that intention to God, he will shine a light upon you. He will shine that light and be like, this is where I need you now. And it will happen. And I guarantee you it won't be where you think it's going to be. It's going to be somewhere like our It never is. It won't be. 
And once that healing takes place, that's when a cultural shift can happen. That's when a community can truly advance toward being a dynamic parish. But it starts with you and God. It starts with you and your pain. Put away the pride. Put away the hurt and the resentment. And surrender to God and be like, I am hurt by this. I am hurt by what happened to me. I am hurt by what happened to my friend, my husband, my wife, whatever. Surrender that and then continue to pray for healing. Because that is ultimately what's going to produce progress. That is ultimately what allows us to grow. Um, Otherwise, you're in for a wild ride. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I would would personally invite anyone listening, if you have been thinking about helping um, in any kind of capacity in the parish, if it's been on your mind and it's been on your heart, to seek it out and and go and find the people uh, that, you know, are in charge of those ministries that you want to help with. Because if God put it on your heart, it's more than likely meant to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that right there, we talked about not dynamic versus dynamic parishes or non-dynamic, I guess I should say. You want to be part of a dynamic parish, get involved. I mean, 100%, get involved. And if, you know, I'm always telling people back in the day when we used to have, like, the ministry Sundays here and you would be able to see all the different ministries at St. Patrick's, you know, that's, yeah, that's a moment of pride for whoever the pastor is to step in that hall and go, like, wow, look at this. This hall's filled with all these different tables, all these different ministries. But look, when you walk in that hall, I guarantee there is somebody who's in there who's looking for something and we don't have it. And if we don't have it, that doesn't mean that we don't need it. That means we don't know we need it. So if you know that there's a need for something, come forward. Let's go and speak to the pastor. Make an appointment. You know, try to get this ministry off the ground. Because obviously if it's that important to you, there's probably somebody out there who has the same exact need. Mm-hmm. I mean, so come. I encourage everyone, come forward. I know in the last two weeks, both of the uh, priests here have been speaking about how we needed help. And, I mean, personally, I got great responses from people. Um, and people just eager to be able to help their parish family out. So I can't encourage y'all enough to, you know, seek it out and to volunteer. It's, it is a, it is a great way if you're looking, if you're looking to grow spiritually, being a volunteer, becoming a volunteer in some capacity is a great, great way to kind of boost, uh, your spiritual life. And it really, to really connect you on a different level. You know, because a great prayer life is definitely important. But let's face it, most of us pray by ourselves. We don't even pray with our spouses, a lot of us. So it's a very, it can be a very isolating uh, ordeal. But volunteering puts you in the company of other people, other fellow Catholics, people who you never know. You may end up becoming pretty good friends with that you your past would have never crossed before. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. I'm also probably not supposed to be chewing gum today, so I will spit that out. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. Gum is fine. Gum is fine. Gum is probably not fine to the poor people who have been listening to me talk for, like, 45 minutes. Well, guys, we can't be the only people who have solutions to help heal this toxicity. So just now in our Instagram and our Facebook pages and our stories, we have invited you to write to us and to comment on our conversation and the first question is, how do you like to serve your parish? 
You know, like what what do you like to do? Uh, there are some that love um, being Eucharistic ministers every week. There are some that wait for an event and make a cake for the church and donate their baked goods. There are just different ways you can serve your parents that you have been called that that is yours. So we want to know from you, what do you like to do to serve? Um, and then another way, you know, another way we want you to respond is have you been a, a survivor of church toxicity? Have you walked away from your spiritual drought and returned to church? What was special about your journey that allowed you to come back and be granted what the water of life and the water of God. We want to know, we want to hear it from you. So go ahead and leave comments on our Instagram, leave comments on our Facebook and reach out to us. We are very happy to have these conversations and to promote this growth. And so this brings us to something that we tried to do in our earlier episodes. But one of the things about me and Stacy is we love talking and we love getting on a roll. And so this hasn't really happened often. So having us do this today is really neat. And it's a concept of a hot take. And hot takes are when things happen that are big conversation starters in your life, in your, in our church, in our faith. And we're just going to talk about very briefly, like just our views on it, our perspective, and give you that dose for a conversation at home or a conversation with us. And so something big happened this week, uh, for those who are following on the news, um, Pope Francis made some comments about embracing same-sex civil unions within the church and his uh, embrace of that in that community. And so uh, I will post the link in our Insta story when we're done with this. So for those that don't know what I'm talking about, is pretty much on every news broadcast, but I'll present the one from the New York Times because that's the most viable. Um, but it was his, for the first time in over 2,000 years, our Pope really had an actual voice on his view on uh, uh, civil unions. And, it, you know, this Pope in particular has been very vocal about his political beliefs. Uh, he's been very vocal about where this goes. Um, but myself, I'm thrilled about this. Um, I'm, I was very like... Well, I think when, we should have discussed this like, uh, before the podcast because yeah. then my comments are going to be no, quite yeah, startling but you're, to you're, you. You're going to be really interested in what I'm going to say. Um, I, for those who don't know me, I am very pro LGBTQ community. Um, I grew up in a time with parishes that were really starting to analyze this in depth. I do have family that are of the homosexual persuasion and, um, it was one of those where I knew in my family, in my heart, I wanted to give them God. God was very important to me. I wanted that for them. And I saw them hurt repeatedly by different faith groups outside of the Catholic faith. But they felt that God couldn't be. And it wasn't until I lived in Los Angeles and I was a member of St. Charles Baremo where I got to really see an active presence of L LGBTQ group in a Catholic church and see them really discuss having strict Catholic morals while still um, being uh, homosexually inclined. And it was so interesting because it really made sense. It just, for me, being able to live your life as a strong, devoted Catholic and now having this new opportunity to embrace civil unions, 
it is something proactive. It is something that we are taking a step. I'm glad that he didn't hit the matrimony button for the simple fact that those are completely different things. Civil unions and matrimony are very different. And I know that some people are going to go, Rachel, and like write me right away saying I'm anti-marriage, which is not true. Um, I come from a very long line of marriages, so I am pro-marriage. Um, but I think that there is a complete distinction between a civil union and a marriage and receiving the sacrament of matrimony and having the church for the first time in a very long time take a step toward this openness. It is something to where I can see in decades from now more opportunities. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. <laughs> so that's my view. I know Stacy's different. She's chuckling hard over on her side of the table. So now we're going to hear This hers. may be the last podcast. <laughs> this may no. be the last podcast, No, y'all. it won't. No, it won't. So here's what I'm not going to do. I am not <laughs> going to interject my personal opinion because, um, because my personal opinion is the same as my professional opinion in this situation. So... In the spirit of toxicity, I'll just say that this is a complete nightmare. Pope Francis is, I, by the way, I am not anti-Pope Francis. Uh, I am not going to make any disparaging comments about the Holy Father. Um, not because, just I'm not going to do it because I don't have any. I will say this, uh, the Holy Father is pretty much famous at this point for speaking extemporaneously. And when he does so, he speaks neither infallible or ex cathedra, which means it's not church teaching. He pretty much expressed a personal opinion. He did not express the opinion of the Roman Catholic Church. He did not change doctrine. None of that will be changed. Uh, not today and not in the future because those things cannot be changed. Um, when we look at the actual documentary, Francesco, um, the answers to the questions were actually spliced together from an interview that was given, I think, in 2018. 2017 or 2019 uh, to a Mexican journalist. And so these were not complete answers to the questions that were subtitled in the actual documentary. The reason that I chose to address this from this in particular point of view or this is, uh, stance is because this has caused a lot of hard feelings uh, with traditional Catholics, with Orthodox Catholics uh, all over the world, in particular in the United States. To understand Pope Francis's comments, in the original interview, even though they're spliced together, which make them inaccurate for the purposes of the documentary. In order to understand it, you have to understand that he's coming from a Latin American, South American culture, in which uh, I can easily identify with because in the culture that I come from, when I was growing up, if you had a relative that was homosexual, it was very much frowned upon. And in some families, uh, they were excluded from all family activities it was like they were dead to the family. And so he approached, Pope Francis approached this from a pastoral perspective when he gave answers to the questions in the original interview, that they should be welcome. They need to be part of a family. Now, there's been some debate whether the word civil union has been accurately translated in the documentary. Some people, are, some linguists are of the opinion that it was not accurately translated. However, there was an archbishop who was a confidant of Pope Francis uh, from back in the day who says that it was accurately translated but the bottom line is is that if you're worried about any kind of church teaching changing you shouldn't be because it's not the pope is only infallible when he speaks ex cathedra and that would be only on faith and morals so n none of that qualifies this situation qualifies in no way shape or form for any of those things 
And then the other thing that we have to remember is that the, uh, the CDF, which is actually the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, in uh, the year 2003 actually issued a statement uh, that said, and I quote, Respect for homosexual persons cannot lead in any way to approval of homosexual behavior or to legal recognition of homosexual unions. The common good requires that laws recognize, promote, and protect marriage as the basis of the family, the primary unit of society. Legal recognition of homosexual unions or placing them on the same level as marriage would mean not only that the approval of would mean not only the approval of deviant behavior with the consequence of making it a model in present-day society, but would also obscure basic values which belong to the common inheritance of humanity. The church cannot fail to defend these values for the good of men and women and for the good of society itself. It also uh, called support for unions by politicians is gravely immoral. So I hope by me reading that statement uh, to you guys that y'all realized that this was uh, not a shift in the church's opinion. It was, uh, you know, a personal opinion given by Pope Francis. And in, in this is when I will go ahead and interject my own opinion here. It was completely out of context. And just like the famous who am I to judge quote, it was taken out of context. And since we are speaking about toxicity, um, the other point that I want to make is that, you see, this is harmful not only to the people who are up in arms because they think the church teaching has changed, and then the people on the other side are saying, well, those people are insensitive anyway. This also, by promoting this, gives false hope to people who belong to that community that a change will occur that will change their lives that's not going to happen. It's hurtful to both to both sides. More so probably, I would think, this is just, again, this... I, I usually am really clear when I'm in, interjecting my own observations. This is, again, on my own observation, but to me it's more hurtful to the homosexual community than it is helpful because it gives hope where it's not going to come. I really am. So you think that this is like a, and you're like, oh, no more podcasts. But I'm actually, this is exactly <laughs> why we are partners. <laughs> this actually, I'm actually like, it's shaking. I'm so excited about She's this. She's going to kill me. No, I'm not. I'm not going to kill you. I'm in the, I'm in the I, youth building. If I don't go home <laughs> for supper, somebody please come check on me. No, I'm actually, this is a really good point because there is something I didn't know. I did not know that that was from a spliced interview. Yeah. And that, uh, and this is something where I am not going to get on my political soapbox today, and you know, one ever wants that. Um, but that is the thing I hate about the media now is that people will just fly out lie. Like they will literally just be like, oh, they said this, and it so, won't so even So now it's probably a good time for me to tell you we're not going to link the New York Post one because that's not a good one. No, not New York Post, <laughs> New York Times. Or New York Times. Yeah. You don't like that article either? Mm -mm. All right, we'll find a better one. But in any event, We'll go through it. We'll link one that we agree on. But you'll get the article for reference. But in any event, um, I think it's important to know that that the article, this is a actively changing story. Because, if you know, it is true that, hey, we, you know, these comments were made. It were revealed on this documentary. Now the world is watching. They will. But the reason that I, only reason I would disagree with you that it's a changing story is because... Like I said when I when I earlier when I began my kind of little spiel is that Pope Francis loves to speak extemporaneously and when he does the Vatican never issues clarity. There have been some major um, high-ranking cardinals in the church who have asked for clarity on this in particular issue, 
and the Vatican has been silent on it. And I uh, would venture to guess they probably will remain silent because in their minds, which which is kind of the way we get ourselves in trouble sometimes here in the church, uh, in their minds, it wasn't a matter of faith and morals. So we, as the laity, should just be able to take it for what it was. Okay. Well, you know what I mean? Which leads to, don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying it. It leads to problems for people. This is very problematic. And I think that... It's very, hearing, conf- it's very confusing is what it is to the laity. Con- well, I think, too, it's also a, you know, I really like what you said that this can, you know, while it is coming from, you know, I really don't think the Pope said this to harm anyone. But I think that you did give a really good possibility that there could be harm and hurt feelings from this from very two different communities. And I think that's something where we need to be cautious. We need to be careful. And that's why we really need to meditate on this. And we need to recognize our own thoughts and our beliefs about this topic and about this view. And knowing, you know, and this is where the doctorate analysis comes from me. The quote you used from the CDF came from 2003 which means it's 17 years old. And that's something that needs to be updated, especially now. It can't be. It, but here's the thing, though, Rachel. It won't be updated because you're talking about uh, doctrine. Yeah. So whether you say you say it's 17 years old, but you can't preface it that way because it's still relevant. Mm-hmm. So you actually don't need an updating on, on that. And the thing that is not out there in the media a lot, unless you're following really... Uh, really reliable Catholic sources is that the Pope, uh, before when he has spoken about civil unions, he made a clear distinction that it could never be equivocal to marriage. And um, so, see, that's where the confusion comes in because he is adhering to doctrine while he didn't interject a personal opinion from a pastoral care perspective, but he's not breaking any dogma or doctrine. He's not breaking what the church is teaching. And that that's where you get the confusion among the laity because the common layperson is not that immersed in church teaching. Absolutely. So you're just getting these snippets and then you end up, you know, delving deeper and then it, it, it pro- just, it proves to just be hurtful. Oh, and I can totally see this happening already. Like I can see where now that the Pope has said this, you're going to find a couple that wants to have their civil union ceremony at a well, church. There's already and been, then they're going to sue and be like, no, we can't, you know, I don't, we In less than a week's this. time, there have already been, I think Nicholas Maduro has come out to try to push uh, same-sex marriage in his uh, country now, quoting the Pope. So there's, there are, there are some fall, there's some fallout from it. Yeah, so it's just going to be really interesting to watch. Um, I think that um, this is, <laughs> I know that you viewed it as like, uh-oh, but I viewed it as, oh, yes. Uh, the fact that we are so different, I think that the different perspectives, and I'm really grateful for, uh, how do I phrase it? It's like the conservative Catholic basis that you provided because if you even like hear our responses i went all hope and like this is so positive and then you go like hey i'm not providing the conservative i'm providing the orthodox orthodox there you go better word orthodox view and i think that's really important and i want these conversations to be happening at home i want people to know and be like oh my gosh like this is what they mean this is what you know because these are the conversations that should be happening in your home you know, they shouldn't just go by what you see on your social media, what you see on the news, and basing it on that. These are, you know, two very modern Catholic perspectives discussing an orthodox view of the church and having these ideas. So 
for those of you that hate me after this, I'm sorry. For those of you that are upset with Stacy, we're don't. Be, I don't care. Yeah, don't be upset I don't with Stacy. You know, we this is a really good hot take, and it's a really great way that we get to close today. Uh, so we've hit our time. So I'm gonna end us with a closing prayer. And right now, I don't think there's anything better than asking God for guidance. So we're gonna close with the Our Father, May the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Trial Fire by, uh, Trial by Fire uh, <laughs> podcast. This is Rachel Kovac and Stacey Huck for your um, podcast today. Have a great week. Oh, see y'all later. <laughs>